Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. After the hilly gravel roads of Stage 4, the peloton now faced the longest day of the race before heading towards the mountains and eventually that final climb up La Planche des Belles-Filles. Uh, don't forget to visit rouleur.cc to subscribe and get a copy of the Double Tours Edition 112, which features the men's and women's races. Rouleur's James Start is in Paris and Rouleur's Rachel Jarry is in Bar-sur-Aube, the Finnish village. Uh, Rachel, first of all, stage four um, on the gravel roads was expected to be a key stage in the race and it certainly wasn't short on drama today, was it? No, definitely not. Um, There was a lot of crashes, a lot of people having mishaps, a lot of punctures. Um, It was chaotic, but looking at the final results, I think the only GC contender who's actually lost a lot of time today was Mavi Garcia. The rest of the GC riders actually finished all together in the front bunch. So it probably wasn't as catastrophic as we might have thought for the GC riders, um, which I guess a lot of them will be quite relieved about, I think. Yeah, Mavi Garcia, I think, was uh, collided with a team car, didn't she? Which looked pretty unfortunate and horrific. Yeah, there is nothing confirmed, but talk about him maybe being taken out of the race for that incident because uh, people are saying that perhaps he should have slowed down and started braking uh, so he didn't hit her back wheel. James, the stage looked amazing today, very photogenic. Um, did you wish you were on a moto on the gravel today? No, I wish I was on a bike. It's much better on a bike if- I think, but um, uh, yeah, I love that stage. I think we've done a, uh, something similar to that in Perry Nice. Um, and I, you know, obviously it's a, a sort of nod to the Strade Bianchi and all that, but I, I love those stages. I, I believe that, you know, cobbles, white roads, anything like that is, is fair game. And, and I'm all for uh, making bike racing, not just a stage racing, not just about the best climber and time trial or battling it out for a victory i think you have to be the best bike handler as well and, and stages like today prove that after the stage finished rachel you spoke to a couple of riders uh, including ashley mulman of sd works who's a teammate of the stage winner yeah ashley was really interesting she spoke a bit about her equipment choices for the stage talking about um how they were using tubular tires rather than tubeless because they felt that gave them more security which was quite interesting and she also just was talking about how marlon is always such a great teammate who works for other people so she was so happy to see her win and i think i saw them all congratulating her at the end of the stage and it seems like marlon is such a popular rider uh, with her teammates so they're all really happy to see her take the victory today cycling is a team sport and it's always a bit strange because one person gets on the podium but um it's really great when 
riders that have worked so hard um, and sacrificed themselves so many times when they when they reap the rewards and step onto the top step. And I guess it will be your chance to shine kind of in the later hillier stages. How are you feeling going into them? Yeah, I'm feeling really good. So, you know, I knew I had a, a very good preparation at altitude coming into this. I know that um, with every race this year, my form has just gotten better and strength has just gotten better. I still haven't seen my best yet, um, but I, I really feel I, I'm on top shape and uh, I'm feeling confident for the weekend. And just finally, how has the Tour de France been? Has it lived up to the expectations that everyone had of the first Women's Tour de France? Has it lived up to your expectations? Yes, it certainly has. I mean, being here, you really do realize how big it is. And, you know, there's just no hiding or, or beating around the bush. No other race really compares to this. And it just showed, like, even yesterday, well, first on the Champs-Élysées with all the crowds and the energy. And then, you know, yesterday, for example, having animated the stage um, and getting a good performance there, just all the messages, all the people that are watching, you know, just it, it is the biggest race in the world. And so we're really happy to have this opportunity. And then you also spoke to Ali Shabi of uh, Canyon Sram and obviously her teammate, Alina Aliusik, came third. Yeah, they deserved a podium today at least, I think. They were really trying to animate the stage, attacking one after the other. But um, they didn't get the win, which I think that's the thing that Canyon Sram keep missing, just that top step of the podium. But like Elise said, if they keep racing aggressively, it will come. And she sort of admitted to me that they, they'd rather risk it all and, and kind of come third rather than feel like they didn't try at all. So they at least really animated the race. And I think they'll be happy with the result and confident looking ahead to the harder stages that they have got strength in numbers in that team. It's a bit frustrating because every time Cassie Army we go like boss is on the wheel or Van Dijk or like everybody's closing and then yeah when Nalan is going nobody's going but yeah I mean it's the game and we just keep trying and I think yeah we like aggressive races like this and yeah one day I think it will go stay away <laughs> yeah I mean like you said there's a lot of teams fighting for the win in this Tour de France I guess does that say something about the state of women's cycling and how competitive it is yeah I mean for sure the level is, is really really high and uh yeah, everybody is looking at each other and for sure like when one of the favorites is going, like they don't really let let them go. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was still a nice stage. I really enjoyed it. They felt really good. And this is the kind of race I really like, like just aggressive the whole day. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was really fun. Looking back earlier in the race, I mean, first of all, the the, the the first stage really didn't disappoint. And, and um, Rachel, we should congratulate you on uh, predicting both the winners of the final men's stage in the Tour and the first women's stage in the Tour. Um, and that, that first stage um, were, was brilliant, wasn't it? Yeah, it was so exciting. And I think despite Lorena Weavers winning, who everybody knew was kind of the key favourite going into that race, it was still super like exciting and unpredictable and I stood by the side of the bunch as they were on that last lap and the shouts coming from that bunch it must have been so hectic it was a really really harsh way to open their this Tour de France it was hot hot laps of the Champs-Élysées and everyone was really was really stressed they they had like no respite throughout the whole race there were a lot of attacks going even for like the intermediate sprint so it was massive fight so it was a really stressful way to get started of the, uh, for the race, for the riders, but for the fans. I mean, it was great to watch. And even Lorena Weaver said her, her lead out didn't actually go perfectly. They didn't do what they wanted, but that's Team DSM's skill is that they can really adapt when the situation doesn't go how they might have thought it would. Um, and that was, she just had to kind of 
uh, like surf the wheels a little bit and she actually ended up being dropped off by five for Georgie um, at the line whereas they she actually meant for her other teammate Charlotte Cool to do that so they had had to really adapt and she said herself it was one of the most difficult sprints she's ever done and she's won a lot of sprints so it was it was really exciting to watch yeah. James it was an amazing sight wasn't it uh, to see the women racing on the Champs-Élysées again and and Paris really came out to welcome them. They did absolutely it was wonderful um, you know it just turned the show into this whole day of celebration around bicycle racing and the tour. I had a great time um, seeing the women and, you know, 12 times you got a lot of opportunities. It was really tremendous. And then, yeah, that final sprint, you know, as, as usually the sprint on the show is 400 meters earlier. Um, and this, so they would come around that last turn at Concorde and pretty much just be full gas until the line. But he, this was like an 800, almost 900 meter long straight sort of drag race and the teams really had to calibrate differently and it was a very different sprint and i think um rachel you know the way you describe the sprint is an example of that you know it, it wasn't it was a harder harder sprint to negotiate and calculate and things didn't i don't think things went right for the men i don't think thing, as as you said with dsm it didn't go quite right for them but the the team the team that was able to react to to and 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 kind of improvise there on the show was the team that came out ahead. The whole first what three four days of racing now, it's been really impressive because when you look on paper, none of these stages, you know, I mean, we're not we're not in the mountains yet, right? Um, we've had obviously the 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 gravel is is always complicated, but you know, I mean, the profiles are not particularly uh, hard, but that doesn't matter because. It, the bike racers are making the racing and we've had great racing and that just, and, and, and at the end of the day, I mean, I don't know how many times I've seen a bike race that has all these killer climbs and everything. And it just sort of neutralizes the racing where uh, with the, the opening week so far that we've seen the racing is more wide open and, and it's just been, it's been full gas the whole time. It's been really dramatic because the racers are making the racing happen. Uh, Mariana Voss won stage two earlier this week and she's, still in yellow at the moment um that stage win for her was wonderful to see wasn't it and Rachel today you got to speak to her yeah it was really great to see it was it was almost surreal because when she pulled on the yellow jersey it almost looked natural it looked like we might have seen it before she's a rider who's been at the forefront of women's cycling for such a long time that it it seems crazy she's had to wait till over a decade in her career to actually pull on the yellow jersey but you could see how much it meant to her. Despite all of all of the wins she's got, it meant so much. And the way she won it, it was just uh, like classic Voss style. She just unleashed that sprint and nobody could match it. It was from that reduced group that had got away um, earlier in the stage among all those crashes. And she's held on yeah, to the yellow jersey since then, which is quite impressive, really, because like you say, the gravel stage was really unpredictable today. And some of the climbs were so steep that we thought it might be too difficult for her to hold on. But yeah, she manages to stay in yellow another day. And she says she's not targeting GC, but, you know, it's the Tour de France and she's going to hold on to it as long as possible. So we'll have to see how she goes in those final really tough two stages. And you actually asked her about the gravel stages. Do you think gravel stages have a place in, in stage races? <laughs> Yeah, well, it's uh, it, it's hard to, to tell. Of course, gravel, some some gravel is also uh, nice. It's spectacular for for the fans to watch. Um, well, like today, some sections were pretty loose, so yeah, it was really difficult. Um, we made it we made it through safely, and then you would say yes, it was all fine. But uh, there's probably some some girls that are gonna tell elsewise and. 
yeah, I, I can say then for a general classification, it can uh, can be uh, pretty awful. But um, yeah, it's uh, for for cycling. You, yeah, there's different different specialities, um, and I think yeah, some gravel is okay. But always look at what is safe or not. And Mariana Voss uh, mentioned safety there. We should talk about stage two, the stage that she won, because it was very fast, very busy, narrow roads, lots of road furniture, um, a lot of crashes. And that caused some controversy and uh, some possibly predictable comments on social media. Um, Rachel, you wrote a piece on the Ruler website, on ruler.cc, about that. And you also discussed that with a really experienced writer, Ellen van Dyke of Trek Sagafredo. What was your take on the whole on the whole controversy? I just think there was a lot of talk on Twitter afterwards about people saying it was because there was these inexperienced riders in the peloton mixed with the world tour riders and they hadn't done enough racing this year. And I just thought it, it's just silly. Like it's the Tour de France. We see it in the men's racing as well. The first few days, they're crazy. Everyone wants yellow. The stakes are higher than ever, especially for the women this year. And people were kind of blaming individual riders for it. And I just think it's it's part of bike racing and people have to take risks. It's, it's otherwise they won't win. You know, if riders, you know, break and think about every decision they make, it's just, they're never going to win. And so we can't, we can't really start. I don't think we can start making claims about the structure of women's cycling or if blaming individual people for that carnage, because it was just, it was just part of the sport. And it's something that the riders have a learning to have in the women's peloton, a learning to have to adjust to with uh, riding the Tour de France the first time. It's, it's part of the race. It happens in men's and happens in women's. It's just, it's just a tour. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I mean, that's sort of a social media phenomenon. Everybody thinks they're the, the expert, right? Any team that's in this Tour de France deserves to be in that Tour de, in the Tour de France. And they're all proud and they're all motivated and they're all, they've all prepared 100% to be there. Every, nobody's trying to cause crashes. The roads were narrow. Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of reasons why there's crashes. Crashes are part of bike racing, like it or not. And, um, you know, and it had a factor on stage two. We had, we had some crashes in the, tour, the men's tour that, you know, played a factor as well. I think the racing's just been tremendous, really. I mean, I've just been astounded how good it is um, for being the opening half of the race, you know, which on paper is the flat part, right? I mean, it's just, and every day there's such high drama. I think we can't restrict the women's Tour de France to just the, the 10 top women's world tour teams. Otherwise, we'll never see the development that, that we need in women's cycling. You can't start saying, because these people haven't raced enough, we'll take more races away from them. It's just, that doesn't make sense. I think it makes it exciting. I think back on, was it 2014 when we had, when we had the first uh, La Course? I think about the difference in the peloton then and now, and it's a world of difference. It's much more, um, the, le- the general level is much higher. No, it might not be as high as it's going to be in five years, but it's much more uh, homogeneous as it is now. And like you said, I mean, the only way for it to continue to improve is for, you know, the, the, these, 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 all these teams to get these opportunities. Like Ellen Van Dyke says, there's, um, you just need, the riders do need to be thinking about each other and thinking about safety. And I'm definitely not saying that they shouldn't be. But I just don't think you can blame on individuals or individual teams. I think everyone is super nervous. Everyone is taking uh, more risk than normal. And uh, yeah, I just don't uh, think that's necessary. Yes, it is a big race, but we race every uh, weekend all, to- or all together. And now all of a sudden people are acting more crazy. And I also would like to ask just a little bit for more respect in the peloton because sometimes we are riding in our train, you know, from our team. And then one single rider just rides into it as if, 
like for, for no reason, you know, and that's a bit what I mean with, with you can't write through people because, um, yeah, I mean, just respect each other, keep, keep your line and everything will be okay. Of course it's stressful and of course it's a nervous race, I know that, but some things are really unnecessary and uh, yeah, I hope, uh, I think yesterday was a bit better already. When the course gets harder, it's also getting better already. I mean, we saw some people saying it's maybe because there's some smaller teams who haven't raced very much and yeah. then obviously big world tour teams. Do you think that's a reason? I think that's also part of it, yes, yes. Uh, sorry, that's also a reason, yeah. Some some race, some teams are not uh, are not so used to riding our peloton maybe and then together with the pressure of this race, I think that's, uh, that's not a good combination. So I guess one other interesting thing that we've seen is a lot of different teams at the front of the race. I think there was riders from 10 different teams in the front group. So I wondered if it's harder for you to control it now there's more riders to kind of watch and it's not just one one main favorite for each stage uh, yeah i think that's a good thing because that's nice and surprising you know it's it's a, it's an open race it's not like there's one rider or one team that's dominating not at all so uh, i think that's only a good thing and of course you want to control the race as a team but uh yeah we try to do that as good as possible but i think for the race it's it's uh, it's super cool that there are so many different uh, options and that's ellen van dyke of uh, trek Sigafredo. we're going to take a break shortly but first we should talk about Cecily Uttrup Ludwig um, another popular stage winner and what a star she is she's the best interviewee ever like her post-race interviews were so emotional and they really showed how much it meant to her and I think um, I spent some time with her for in Copenhagen for a feature that we put in the Tour de France issue of Rouleur and I spoke to her then and she was so dejected and down because she'd uh, been missing all of the Ardennes classics because she had Covid and the way she was uh, speaking, I was like, gosh, this is this is a really tough time for her. And I was thinking, will she make it back to the top level again this season? I just didn't know because she she wasn't the Cecily who we saw in the interviews yesterday, who was so happy and smiley. She she really was struggling. So to see her take that uh, win, it just she'd worked so hard for it. So I thought she really deserved it. And also after the bad luck that FDJ had had with all the crashes the day before, she had so much fight in her to turn things around for the team so it was it was so special for her yeah and you can read rachel's interview with um cecily in ruler 112 we're going to take a break now when we come back we'll talk about the rest of the race and what's happening with annemiek van vleuten This next segment is brought to you with Whoop, who we've been partnering with here on the Ruler podcast. Whoop is the fitness brand changing the game when it comes to wearable devices. In fact, Whoop has been nice enough to gift us the Whoop 4.0, the latest in personalised, non-invasive digital fitness. Just pop it on your wrist and you'll be carrying around your very own health coach that monitors your body's physiology 24-7. Ready to report on your fitness, training, sleep recovery all via the accompanying app now you might remember a while back now we had former pro cyclist four times u.s cyclocross champion and gcn commentator jeremy powers on the podcast who also happens to be a coach at whoop now jeremy was helping rouleur's rachel jarry kick off her whoop journey a few months later rachel's journey has come to an end and we're here to hear all about it so rachel when you set out you wanted to avoid burnout and ensure more consistent training has helped you to do that 
yeah I think absolutely it has um I feel a lot more in tune with my body now about the demands that I can cope with and also how much daily life has an impact on my ability to push myself in training um through like the strain score I've been able to see when I you know how much impact riding an hour to work my daily commute for example it has a lot it has a lot less strain than an hour on the turbo trainer so it's really helped me manage which sessions are are right for which day um, and it also helped me kind of see why maybe I wasn't seeing those improvements very quickly because I was doing sessions that were too easy or too hard so it's just been great to see how much more confidence having whoop has given me just so I can be sure I'm doing the right thing and have a better understanding of my body and what what it needs on what day. Which area of the insights did you find you kept going back to most often? I think the strain score and recovery score were definitely two of the biggest metrics that I used when I was wearing Whoop. Um, My goals were kind of focused around training. So these were two of the most important in deciding which session I would do on which day. Um, but aside from them, I'd say I always looked at my sleep score as well, because this was a good way to kind of be strict with myself and ensure I was getting all the amount of sleep I needed of course like I still lived a balanced normal life so there were occasions where I went out and I maybe didn't get the sleep I wanted but having whoop is that it told me how that had affected my recovery and I could then change my plans the next day accordingly based on that and did you actively sort of change your sleep and workout routines do you think those are now changed for good as a result yeah there's definitely some things about my routine that will stay the same which you know which have changed through using Whoop. I will keep the same now like I've managed to really get into a good sleep routine and that ensures I'm getting around seven or eight hours a night which I've found through using Whoop is generally enough time for me to recover um as for my workouts like I'll now be able to make sure I keep them consistent and understand that if I do have a really strenuous day even if it's not on the bike it could just be a day out shopping or a day on your feet all day that will impact how I'm how my training is the next day so it's become about kind of understanding that and and accepting it and being able to be flexible with your plans accordingly and what would you say to someone who's not sure about using whoop someone who maybe thinks it's a bit complicated um, I'd probably say like it's really not as complicated as it might as it might seem. I think once it's connected, the insights it can give you into your data and into your body are, are really invaluable. And I think it's a piece of kit that really just makes the most of like what modern technology can do to help you get the best out of yourself. And the app has a really good introduction when you first open it. And there are plenty of explainers about what each kind of metric means and how the scores are calculated. So I do think it's worth giving it a go and it ends up being really self-explanatory. And once you once you're used to it, it's just like it's just like second nature to check your whoop scores every day. And lastly, is this uh, really the end of your whoop journey or do you think you're now a full term whooper, if that's the right word? Um, I think I would love to continue to use Whoop. I mean, the improvements it has um, helped me make in my training have meant that my performance has really gone up in races and on the bike, which is what I was looking for at the start. I think what I maybe didn't expect was the how it helped me improve my routine away from training in my day-to-day life so things like getting enough sleep for example have helped me work better in my day job and make sure I'm not tired when I'm trying to write and um, seeing my strain score on a day when I'd been lazy or maybe couldn't be bothered to do exercise made me kind of think about making decisions like should I walk somewhere rather than getting the train or getting the bus so I think 
it's not just about kind of how it's helped me change my training, but also my day to day life. It's it's made me make really big improvements. So I've been really happy with, with it and I would like to continue using it. Definitely. OK, thanks, Rachel. And uh, thanks, Rulo listeners, for joining us on Rachel's fitness journey with Whoop. If you're interested in replicating her journey, you can go to whoop.com to find out more. And listeners to this podcast get a 15 percent discount on any Whoop membership when they use the code RULER during checkout. Why, hello there. Podcast interruption alert, but I will only take a few short moments to say that if you're enjoying this podcast, you will love the regular magazine. So if you're not a reader already, then you can subscribe at ruler.cc for as little as £6 per month. If you don't speak Northern Irish, that's six times 100 pennies. And for the price of a few coffees, you get regular columns from the wonderful Ned Bolting, myself, Orla Shinawi, and some of the very finest independent cycling journalism there is, all wrapped up in a wondrously beautiful publication. Go to ruler.cc. I'll leave you to it. This is Ruler Conversations with me, Ian Parkinson, James Start in Paris and Rachel Jarry on the route of the Tour de France femme avec Zwift. Now, uh, Rachel, Annemiek van Vleuten was you know, going to be the rider that everyone needed to be. She was... Um, most people's favourite but so far in the race she's struggled hasn't she? She's been really unwell um, she spoke to press after yesterday's stage and said she hasn't been able to hold food down for two days she's had a really she's been really sick with a stomach bug so I don't think it's definitely not her form like it is just illness we saw in the Giro she's in fantastic form like you don't lose that in 10 days um, but she has been struggling with this illness she did say she's been feeling better every day so I definitely still wouldn't count her out for those uh, two difficult stages at the end if she can recover from this illness. Let's look at uh, stage five, the next stage, which is the longest of the race at 175 kilometres, which is in fact longer than the UCI recommends that women should race, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, It's quite flat. It is long, but I I still think the way they've been racing is still going to be super exciting and attacking from the start. Um, The fact the UCI have a race limit distance for women I think it's a bit ridiculous anyway um I don't see why they can't race 180k the men race you know uh way way more than that often in the season so yeah people are making a big deal of the distance but there's no reason why they won't be able to do it and I'm sure the racing will be as exciting as ever uh, could be another day for Lorena Rebus with a sprint depending on how she recovers after today she had a really hard time on the steep gravel climb so we'll see how how her legs are I'm curious to see um you know, a day like that, um, it is a long day uh, by women's um, standards, if I'm correct. But I'm actually curious to see what effect it might have in the following days. Because, the like, as Rachel said, the stage itself is not that that hard. It's fairly flat. But it's long. And it's going to be taxing. And, and it's going to start to – there's going to be a, a sort of accumulated fatigue that starts to build up. And, and a race a stage like tomorrow, even though it might not be on paper that hard, I think it could um, have – effects in the next the days that follow that we don't see I do agree with that and uh, a lot of the riders have been saying how stressful the bunch has been and actually some teams have even said that they're trying to make it stressful and they want they want that as a tactic to try and you know kind of scare the likes of Annie Van Vluten who we know maybe isn't as confident uh, on descents and bike handling so like you say it's going to be really tiring even if not physically but just mentally being focused for that long I mean one of the hardest stages in the men's tour this year was the stage two uh, I think it was to Carcassonne you know, which is a very flat stage. 
but it was just mentally so exhausting. It was it was long as well, and and they had really intense heat to deal with, uh, which it looks like for the moment the women are going to be uh, spared of. But yeah, the, the like you said, the I mean, and and let's not forget. I mean, today's stage was hard and stressful in its own right, and th- those 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 climbs um, might not be high mountain climbs, but they were steep and really punchy and, and all of that's starting to build up or, you know, we're as we go into the final weekend. So I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how, how that stage tomorrow plays out in the, you know, you could see it maybe, maybe a, the pack being fairly together tomorrow, but then blowing up the next day. There's a couple of names, which I confess are new to me. They shouldn't be um, because I do watch um, quite a bit of women's uh, racing, but Sylvia Persico and Juliette Laboot have had really good races so far, haven't they? Yeah, they have. I mean, Juliette Laboot, she isn't as kind of surprising maybe as um, Persico because she did win the Queen stage at the Giro a few weeks ago and that kind of showed she was in really good form. So she did come in as one of the GC favourites, I think, to a lot of her rivals. Persico um, has a background in cyclocross, so she's maybe not as well known to those of us who sort of follow the road scene more. But I think that those that skill set is really helping her in stages like today with the gravel. She's she's been really impressive, especially riding for a slightly smaller team like Valkar. They maybe do have to work a little bit harder in the peloton to get their, get their space compared to some of the world tour teams. So she's been really impressive and sitting second on GC um, in the tour at the moment is, is pretty crazy for a rider on a UCI continental team. Okay, before we go, Rachel, tell us about uh, Geraint's gilet. This is the um, gilet that uh, Geraint Thomas forgot to take off in the first stage of the tour this year, and it's since been uh, travelling round France of its own accord, basically. Um, uh, and yes, today it was actually, uh, you had possession of it, didn't you? Yeah, so I picked it up yesterday from a lady called Jan, who is following, he's been following all of the men's tour, and uh, she's now following all of the women's tour um, by bike, a mix of bike and car, she said. And it's funny you say it's been making its own way around France, because she did say to me when she got it, it was so smelly, it could stand up on its own um, after being with the beef eaters on Alpe d'Huez, I think she said it was like... Yeah, it's sunk. Um, but I think it has had a little wash since then. So it wasn't too bad when I got it. Today, I, ha- I handed it over to some Italian people who are following the race and they're going to give it to someone else tomorrow. So we've got to see if it makes it to makes it to La Super Planche de Belfi at the end. And any thoughts about who's going to be on the podium apart from uh, Geraint Thomas's uh, gilet? Who else is going to be on the... Who's going to be on the podium in Planche de Belfi? It's going to be interesting. I'm, I, actually, I'm... Really going to have my eyes on Saturday's stage um, as we go up the uh, the, the Ballon d'Alsace or the, the Grande Ballon, it's called. Uh, we don't climb those races. The, the Ballon d'Alsace was the first climb ever in the Tour de France, and and these climbs we don't do that often in the Tour, but they're they're plenty hard. And I think the last time I remember doing it was like the 1997 Tour, but it was the Grand Ballon was far out from the finish, whereas on Saturday. You know, it's a, it's a category one climb that finishes close to the finish. So I'm going to be really curious to see what plays out there. And then if there's any decisions that still be, need, need to be made, then the Super Planche de Belfi will certainly um, will certainly be that because it's just so steep and you can lose time uh, in a very short distance there. Yeah, I agree. I think out of the riders kind of who will be contending those final two hilly stages, uh, Cassia Nuadoma looks really strong and I think she'll definitely be up there as will uh, Lisa Longo-Burghini of track 
And SD Works are probably in one of the strongest positions with two cards to play. They have um, Ashley Millman and Demi Vollering sitting, I think, fifth and sixth on GC at the moment. So that's kind of strength in numbers. They're both really, really strong climbers. And they're probably one of the few teams who could expect to have two in the final selection after those really uh, long hills and then obviously there's Van Vluten but we don't know how she'll be after illness and unfortunately Cecily Ludwig lost some time on the crashes stage so even though she's clearly in fantastic form she's got a bit of work to do same goes for Mavi Garcia so it's going to be really exciting to see because those riders will be needing to go for long ones to get back the time they've lost in the crashes. For those of us who want to dream and want to see Marion take it all the way is is, are we just are we just dreaming or could this be possible? I think I think it largely depends on how it's raced. Like if they race it hard all the way up the climb, then it's going to be really hard for her to hang on because you've seen how punchy she is. She can't she can't target those really long climbs and also keep that amazing sprint she's got. Um, I think it's just going to depend if the GC favourites start looking at each other and easing up on the climbs and give her a chance to get back on. Then they take her to, if they take her to the finish line, then it's a real risk. Um, that she'll win the sprints and keep the yellow. So we're just going to have to see how they race it. Well, there won't be any sprint on the Super Planche de Belfie, I could tell you that. <laughs> but a sprint, I, there's always a sprint to the line. Uh, right? Yeah, okay, okay. Well, it's, uh, it's a very short one, but that, you, not a lot of time is, is is made there. A lot of time can be lost if she can't be there. But I, I mean, it's, you know, it's not the longest climb, obviously, but it, it's pretty grueling at the end. Do you think she could hold it if, if they're not going all out? Think she could control it enough and follow the wheels and be there at the end. Yeah, what I was, what I kind of meant was, if if she does come into the into the end in a small group, then there's time yeah. bonuses on bonuses on the line, and she's probably the one out of all of the best climbers in this race who is the fastest sprinter. Mm-hmm. So if that's the situation, and there's sort of six of them who come to the line, then Voss is the one who can win from that. Um, it might be that the race is really tight four and that would probably suit her better than it being full gas right from the bottom of all the biggest climbs. Okay, thank you for letting me still be able to dream. There is a scenario, <laughs> a narrative where it could happen. So There is so much to look forward to still in this race in the uh, days that remain. Rachel, thank you. James, thank you. Uh, that's it from this Ruler Conversations. We will be back soon. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. (laughs) A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.